0: Since 1996, music
1: aficionados and cult scholars have tried to explain the mysterious disappearance of regionally famous rock guitarist Orin Moon, but in 2016, I received a crate of cassettes that told the entire story. Now I'm sharing it with the public through this podcast. In this week's episode, Melody Moon and her friends find themselves stranded in the middle of northern Missouri and face-to-face with a new brand of unspeakable monster, Whatever darkness they've faced in the past pales in comparison to what they'll face soon. Mel and her friends are about to discover that every road trip has its own unique perils. This is Bad Notes, Part 18. trips were never my thing. Pop culture would have you believe that when you're on the road, you're free. Your past is behind you as you drive into the sunset in search of romance or wealth and fame. The open road is yours to command. You have life by the balls. But you want to know the truth? No matter what you're doing, no matter where you are, life always has you by the balls. Always. It had been almost an hour since Wicked Ginny had demanded we change course and head to Nebraska after sensing one of her shepherds had been slaughtered in Mason's post. Mel and I spent most of that time in silence, each of us staring out the window as the black bus sped through the wooded farmland of northern Missouri in search of someone named Leonard. Mel took a deep breath, as if she was about to say something important when one of the front tires of the bus exploded with a muffled popping sound. Then the bus lurched sideways and began shuddering along the highway. Mel and I held onto the table as Pony tried to maintain control of the vehicle. side of Highway 136, somewhere between the towns of Tarkio and Burlington Junction, staring at a bus with a flat tire. Pony had crawled underneath to investigate, while Wicked Ginny somehow managed to stay asleep in her pine box at the back of the bus. "'What the hell do we do now?' I asked. Mel shrugged. "'We're at least ten miles from any place with a service station,' she said. "'I mean, we're kind of screwed.' scanned the landscape around us as she spoke farmland trees gently rolling hills it was a bucolic wasteland there she said pointing west behind those trees do you see a house on the hill i nodded how far away do you think it is i asked i mean if we walked i don't know she said maybe a mile. They might have a patch kit or something. Pony, I said. You got anything to fix that tire? He scurried out from under the bus and shook his head, then made a zero sign with his hand. I sighed. Well, we could start that direction, check the house, and head on to the next town if they can't help. I glanced at Mel and then at Pony. They both shrugged and nodded. I mean... There wasn't much else we could do. You stay here and watch Jenny, I said to Pony, pointing at the rear end of the bus. He gave us a thumbs up. So we hit the road, again. This is when the monsters show up, Mel said a few minutes into our trek to the house in the hills. What do you mean, I asked. I mean, the group splits up, and then the monsters appear from out of nowhere, right? It's like a stereotype or something. I thought about it for a moment. Mel, we're riding with two vampires. The monsters are already here. She laughed, and it was good to hear that sound after all these days of bullshit and chaos. It felt right to finally hear her laugh again. But then she went serious. I don't think we'll ever see Mason's post again, do you? It hadn't occurred to me, but she was probably right. No, I said, I tried to laugh, and good riddance, you know? Right, she said, good riddance. I hadn't thought about how much of her mental baggage was tied up in that bullshit town. Maybe it was best that she never saw the place again. Maybe it was best for both of us. thing is, she said, as we walked along the side of the road, You can leave a place. But you can't leave the memories. That shit stays with you till you're too old to remember anything. Or until you're dead. Do do you remember anything about this dude Leonard?" I asked. I was worried it might catch her off guard, but I was also genuinely curious whether she knew anything about him. No, she said, staring ahead of us as we walked along the uneven shoulder of the old highway. I mean, I remember a lot of my dad's shit, but only the stuff that was directly in my little bubble, you know? Mom protected me from a lot of it, I think. And maybe he did, too. For all I know, the guy could have hung out with Dad and the band when they were rehearsing in the shed behind our house. But if he did, I was never around him. to be the driveway that led to the house. There was a black and gray mailbox with the name Madsen written on the sides. There was a faint scratch through the letters S-E-N. The mailbox hung open like a corpse's gaping mouth. I glanced at Mel and noticed she'd gone pale gray like the old concrete beneath our feet. From this vantage point, we could tell it was a two-story craftsman style home. We stared up the driveway, which was practically a tunnel of trees and creepers that had become so overgrown they created a thick canopy that blocked most of the sky. I mean, most of it. Do you see that? Mel asked, nearly breathless. Through the overgrowth we could see dozens of crows that had sprung to life around the house ahead of us. They circled in droves, calling out to one another or at us as they hovered above the home. That should have been the first clue that we needed to turn around. Then as we approached the home, I noticed the windows. Mel, I said quietly, softly touching her shoulder with my hand. I don't know if we should get closer. Do you see the windows? Holy shit, she whispered. At first I thought her reaction was because she had noticed the windows were boarded shut. But then she clutched her stomach. Oh, hell. Oh shit, I feel like I might throw up. She stopped walking and leaned over as if she might vomit. No, no, what's wrong? I asked. I don't know. It it feels like... It feels like something is clawing at my insides. I held her hand and said, this was a mistake. Let's get back to the bus now. When we turned to walk back to the highway, we faced what at first glance seemed a child wearing a white t-shirt that had been smeared with mud or maybe blood or some combination of the two. Thick brown hair hung around the child's long face. It stared at us with unblinking, solid yellow eyes. The child's nostrils were thin slits and reminded me of a goat's. Suddenly, it was clear that this was no child at all. We faced some kind of pint-sized monstrosity, and I realized Mel had been right. We split up the group, and the monsters had arrived.
0: This break is to let you know that Bad Notes is sponsored by the secretive organization Orb Industries. I was staying at a hotel in Cedar Rapids last week when I discovered a floppy disk with my name on it in the bedstand
1: drawer. It was tucked inside an old Gideon's Bible like a high-tech bookmark. It took me a few days to track down a functional floppy disk drive, but I was finally able to find one in the back room of a local computer repair shop. The disk held a single
0: .txt file labeled. Orb Sponsor Copy. And when I accessed it, I found the following message. Bad ideas are more dangerous than
1: bad memories. Why not erase it all? To be
0: honest, I don't get it. Is this a reference to computer programming or something? Either way, this episode is sponsored by... By... Wow.
1: I'm, uh... I'm, I'm suddenly drawing a blank, uh, what was I talking about? child thing raised one finger at Mel and said, You cannot leave. At least two dozen similar creatures crawled out of just as many hiding places. They joined the first as if they were ready to charge us. We don't want any trouble, Mel said. It was clear that she was still in pain. Her right hand clutched at her midsection as she spoke. We just need to get back to our bus but you, you cannot leave. leave. The others looked similar in stature and physical appearance. They all wore what appeared to be children's clothing scavaged from a thrift store. Some wore boys' clothing, some wore girls' outfits, and some a little bit of both. They were all filthy. You cannot leave because you are Hunter's kin. Mel and I ran for the house. For some reason, the place was unlocked, so we charged inside and locked the door behind us. It didn't occur to me until later that the door might have been open for a reason. What the hell are those things? I asked. I have no idea, Mel said, grunting as she slid a recliner chair in front of the door to help keep it shut. She backed away, still holding her abdomen, then leaned against the wall beside the door. Wooden slats had been used to cover each window in the house. They were uneven and allowed angular bars of sunlight through cracks. Family photos adorned the wall around Mel. A family of four here, mom and dad there, a photo of the kids sitting on a carousel. The boy looked like he was about four, and the daughter was probably a few years older. Each photo frame was covered in a thick layer of dust, as if they hadn't been cleaned for months. There was a small pie-sized window in the top center of the door. It was made of alternating red and blue stained glass, and one of the pieces was missing. Shards of that glass littered the floor at my feet, like someone had busted the glass inward. Through that hole in the window, we could hear the creatures outside. They all chanted. Under skin, under skin. Are they talking about me? Mel asked shared a glance that said, probably. The creature suddenly stopped chanting. The first one, the one which I had assumed was the leader, raised its voice. Hunters can! The beast has enslaved us, but you shall set us free! What are you talking about? Mel asked. She doubled over in pain and stepped away from the wall. I grabbed her by the shoulder and kept her from tumbling to the floor. As I held her, I glanced around the living room and dining room behind us. The chairs at the dinner table were askew. A pink and purple backpack hung from one of them, but it was also covered in dust. On the table were three plates of food that had gone bad ages ago. Beyond moldy, less than food and more like garbage. This house wasn't abandoned. It had been forgotten. It feels like someone is pulling at me from the inside, Mel said. I don't know what's happening, but it's even worse now that we're inside the house. It's like something is repelling me. Does that make sense? From somewhere deeper in the home came a low, muffled, groaning sound. It was the sound of someone in pain, begging for mercy, aware that death was near. It was the sound of torture, the sound of agony. And then we listened in horror as the moaning sound formed words. probably as terrified as I was. From outside, the first creature said, We thank you, Hunters Ken! You can set the house free! You can slay!
0: Thanks for listening to Bad Notes, written and produced by L. David Hessler. Last week, I teased some behind-the-scenes activity and promised more info on this episode. The big surprise is that Bad Notes is launching a Patreon page in January of 2022. What does that mean for you? It means you can help support the show through a single-tier subscription that gives you access to a monthly bonus podcast called The Journals of Warren Moon based on the very documents that Mel received from Wicked Ginny before hitting the road in search of her dad and the Noise Bastard. You'll also get exclusive art based on characters and events from the show, as well as membership in a private Discord community. There are a few other perks up my sleeves, but you'll find out about them when the Patreon page goes live. Find more of my work for adults and children at ldavidhesler.com. The intro song for this season is Ascend, used with permission by the band Primitivity. All other music and sound effects are used under a Creative Commons Zero license. You can grab the next episode of Bad Notes when it lands December 28th, which I highly recommend since it'll feature a sample of the bonus podcast available on Patreon next month. See you on the other side.